Well, you can take your Bibles and turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. And while you're turning there, let me just say uh, welcome to those of you that are over in the, the venue. And I'm grateful for Jared and Stephen who lead worship over there most of the time. Grateful for them. And I'm thankful you're here, especially if you're visiting with us. Um, 30 plus years ago, I visited this church. And here I am today. You never know what might happen. <laughs> and that's no joke. Over 30 years ago, I visited Big Belly Grace. I didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, God began to do a work in my life. And I know that on a weekend like this, whether you're over in the venue or you come to Saturday night or you're in one of our gatherings somewhere, we got a lot of them, that uh, some of you have walked with Jesus Christ a long time. Some of you began your journey with the Lord last weekend. You gave your life to Christ. Some of you are here and you're not sure that this Jesus thing is all that real. And, and it's okay. Wherever you're at in life, it's okay. I'm just glad you're here. And more importantly, God's glad you're here. Some of you have walked with God for a while and you're struggling right now in your faith and it's, it's okay. This side of heaven, we all struggle at times. And this is a place where you can come and wrestle around with the things of faith as you kind of try to figure this whole thing out. And I just want you to know I'm, I'm glad you're here and, and more importantly, the Lord is glad you're here. So wherever you're at on the journey, doesn't matter. You're welcome here anytime. But I do want you to know that it was a little over 30 years ago I showed up here. Our church was on Stanford Avenue. It wasn't located here, and I was a visitor. Didn't know, I didn't know God from Howard Hughes, man. And never in my wildest dreams would I have known what God was going to do with my life. That's a... It's unbelievable. If you are visiting with us, we want to make sure that you have a chance to see all of the scriptures we're going to look at, and most of them are in this little shell for you, and we give you a few thoughts that you can kind of track where the Lord is leading, and you can use that to maybe go back and rehearse some of the things that maybe God was saying to you. You could use this to, you know, uh, share it with your spouse that they weren't able to make it, your children, uh, uh, your parents, somebody you work with, we make this pretty easy, and it's a tool for you to, to use. And then also, there's no way I can cover all of the verses, all of the stuff that are in the little text I'm going to share today. And so we create a daily meditation page for you each week, and it goes right along with what I'm going to talk about. And we ask you a few questions, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you can just track along, and who knows how the Lord may speak to you or encourage you or... or um, or whatever. We're in a, a series here at Big Valley Grace called Standing Strong, where we're going through the book of First Peter together. And we kicked it off two weeks ago by talking about how we can stand strong when things uh, go wrong in our lives. And one of the things that's true for all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, is that um, life at times can be difficult. We all get kidney punched by life, and, and we go through difficult times, all of us. And uh, the Word of God has all kinds of information, data in it on how we can stand strong when those crummy times come. And they come for all of us. Last week we talked about how we can stand strong so that we might live a God-honoring life down here on planet Earth. You know, the first 20-some years of my life, uh, I didn't know the Lord, and I lived a pretty crummy life. I led a lot of people astray, and... I was just confused and mixed up and didn't realize that there was something far greater in life than what I was experiencing. I didn't realize that there was a God who came and said, I've, I've come to give you a life, and not just any kind of life, but an abundant life, an amazing life. I didn't know that. And so here I give my life to Christ, and Jesus says, now I want you to live a life that honors me. I want you to reflect me down here on planet Earth. And Last week, I talked about how difficult that can be at times. 
I don't care how long you've been a Christian, sometimes it's hard to live a God-honoring life. And I talked a lot about the flesh, the old nature, the Adamic nature that all of us still have, and then the new Christ-filled nature. And sometimes they're just at odds with one another. And sometimes the old nature wins out. Today we're going to talk about your identity in Christ or how God sees you, because the better you understand your identity in Christ, the, the better you understand how God sees you, the greater the chances that, that you're going to stand strong for, for him. And I need to unpack this a little bit for you. There, there's been a number of studies done over the last 40 to 50 years that deal with the importance of self-perception, how you perceive yourself, because how you perceive yourself plays a huge role in, in how your life will unpack. The way you see yourself determines to a large degree the way that you're going to act in life. How you see yourself is going to uh, play itself out in how you react to certain things in, in, in life. And let me give you a couple of examples. If you see yourself as a loser, the chances are, are pretty good that you're going to end up acting like a loser. If you see yourself as a victim, the chances are pretty good that you'll tend to let people victimize you. If you see yourself as uncreative, the chances are pretty good that you'll rarely, if ever, come up with anything creative. On the other hand, if you see yourself as successful, then the chances are pretty good that you'll be successful and you'll have repeated successes in your life. And by the way, this isn't a new discovery. Thousands of years ago, God's word said this, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. For as a man or a woman or a boy or a girl thinks in his heart, so he is. Warren Worsby, great preacher, said this, you may not be able to see your thoughts, you may not be able to weigh your thoughts, you may not be able to measure your thoughts, but that doesn't mean they're not real, and that does not mean they're not powerful. John Maxwell, godly man, said, what occupies your mind and what you think about means more than anything else in your life. My favorite, favorite preacher is a guy by the name of Dr. John MacArthur, and he said this. He said, spiritual stability is a result of how a person thinks. The Bible leaves no doubt that people's lives are the product of their thoughts. Those are weighty statements, aren't they? For as a man thinks in his heart, or as a woman thinks in their heart, for as a child thinks in their heart, so they are. Beloved, what you fill your mind with matters. <laughs> We've all heard that, that saying, garbage in, garbage out, right? You put a bunch of garbage in and Man, it's amazing some of the things that will come out of our mouths, huh? Some of the crummy thoughts, some of the crummy things, just tones that are just crummy. Sometimes you put garbage in, and not only does it come out of your mouth, but it comes out of your members. It comes out of, you know, the the places that you go, the things that you do. There's an old poem that goes like this. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Yeah, powerful. I think that's true. Beloved, we need to be careful what we fill our minds with because that which we fill our minds with will greatly determine what our lives are going to be like in the future. The great apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then he said, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Basically, Paul's telling us that what you think about should line up with what God says. In other words, you know, uh, when some thought comes to your mind, you know, somebody cuts you off on the freeway. And immediately, and you just want to catch up to the guy and give him the one-way sign, you know, the Christian one-way sign, you know what I'm talking about? What you do is you take that thought captive. 
Hold on here a second. I know that's what I feel like doing. I feel like catching up to that guy. I feel like ramming him in the back. I feel like pulling up next to him, letting him know what I, I think. I, that's what I feel like. Remember, I tell you all the times, your, your feelings don't have any IQ. You can't educate your feelings. They are what they are. Jesus said it's the truth that sets you free. It's the truth that matters. And so when that thought comes, you know, you want to really let the guy have it, you take that thought captive and you go, wait, is that what God would want me to do? Does that line up with God's word? The Bible says don't let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. The answer is no. Obviously, God wouldn't want you to do that. But what happens is a thought gets here and you don't take the thought captive and you just act on it. Instead of saying, whoa, 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 hold on here, hold on here. What does God have to say about this? Now let me bring this back around. The beliefs that you have about yourself go all the way back to your childhood. And unfortunately, some of those beliefs aren't true. They're false. I remember as a kid going to the Stanislaus County Fair in Turlock, and I would go into the fun house, and in the fun house, they had those crazy mirrors that, that, that warped the way you looked, made you, you know, look big or skinny or short, tall or whatever. They, they distorted the true image of who you were. It made you look different than how you really were. And unfortunately, some of you had crummy parents. You had crummy brothers and sisters, crummy siblings, and they said things to you that, that weren't true about you. And you never took those thoughts captive. They told you that you were stupid. And you heard that over and over again, you're stupid. Hey, you're stupid, you're stupid. And you never took that thought captive. And here you are in your 20s, or your 30s, or your 40s. And that may have happened, you know, when you were young. But it impacts your life today. They told you that you were worthless. And you never took that thought captive. They told you that your life wouldn't add up to anything. And you never took that thought captive. They told you that no one would ever love you. They told you that you were a mistake. And you still believe these things are true. And they're not. But because you believe them, you have this distorted view of yourself. And today it's my prayer that somehow you hear from the Lord. Because in my short time, the 30 or 40 minutes I got, I don't have the power to erase those things that you never took captive. And so it's my prayer that as I talk and as I share these things, these truths about you, that somehow the Holy Spirit takes them and by the time these words hit your ears, he does something really powerful with them. Because I want you to leave different. God wants you to leave this place different. He wants you to really have a, a better idea of who you are in Christ that you would have a better idea of who you really are. So with this said, let's read our, our text for today, okay? Look at verse six, 1 Peter chapter two. As the scripture says, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor, and that's Jesus. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Look, <laughs> I, you give your life to Jesus Christ and you'll never be disgraced, never. There's never been a moment in my life where I've been disgraced because I've known Christ. Never. Oh, I've had people attack me and say crummy things. Every week I get that kind of stuff. People listen literally all over the world. But it's never been a, a disgraceful thing to name the name of Christ. Never. Never. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor that God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they don't obey God's word. They don't believe in God. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you, Christian, 
You're not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once, Christian, you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's own people. For once you had received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Now basically what we're going to do is we're going to zero in on verse 9. Look at verse 9. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation. You're God's very own possession. So how does God see you? You're accepted by God. God accepts you just the way you are. The Bible says in verse 9, you are a chosen people. Let me take you back to week one. Peter said, God the Father knew you. He knew the good, he knew the bad, and he knew the ugly. He knew all of the great things about your life, and he knew about all the crummy things in your life. He knew about all the things you had done in your past, and he knows about all the crummy things you're going to do in the future. He knew you, and he chose you long ago. The man who wrote this book, Peter, when God said to him, when Jesus said, Peter, I want you to follow me, when God chose him and said, follow me, Jesus was well aware of the fact that there was going to come a moment down the road three years later when he would actually deny Jesus. Jesus knew when he said to Peter, Peter, come on, I accept you, I, I choose you. He knew that Peter was going to be used to somehow thwart the very plan that God had for his life. There was a moment when Jesus turns to Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. You're being used by the devil right now to try to somehow mess up God's plan for my life. You see, God knows all about you. He knows all the dumb, stupid, sinful, crummy, ugly things you're going to do in the future. And yet he still said, come on, follow me. I choose you. I accept you. Now, I talked about this two weeks ago, but because Peter mentions it again, I'm going to say a few more words about it again. Many of you have invited Jesus Christ into your life. You've accepted Jesus Christ into your life. But have you ever realized that Jesus Christ has accepted you? <laughs> you know, we use verbiage like, I, I, I accept you into my life. And that's nothing wrong with that verbiage. That's okay. But there's something even more powerful than that. And that is God has accepted you. He's accepted you. He chose you. You're acceptable to him. Beloved, most people spend their entire lives trying to earn someone's acceptance. We try to earn it from our parents. We try to earn it from our friends. We try to earn it from those we work with. We try to earn it from people we respect. We even try to earn it from people we don't respect. The drive to be accepted is deep and it drives us to do all kinds of things. It can influence the, the kinds of clothes you wear. You've ever wondered why you see some of these young people and they may have on all the black stuff and all the, well, what's up with that guy? They just want to be accepted and they found a group that accepts them. Somebody accepts them. Everybody else around them probably doesn't. How crummy is that? But there are some people who do. And if we all dress like this, who cares? I'm accepted. And it drives us to think about the kinds of cars we, we, we purchase, the kind of houses we buy, even the careers you choose. The, the drive to want to be accepted is deep. 
I remember as a kid wanting so badly to be in the in crowd to be accepted that I'd do just about anything, even if it was stupid or a risk to my own personal safety. Just wanted to be accepted. We all love the feeling that says, somebody thinks that I'm okay. Somebody's chosen me and accepted me. Somebody's chose me for an award. Somebody chose me for an honor. Somebody chose me for a promotion, right? Somebody's chosen me to, for a special opportunity. We all love that, don't we? That's why we give out awards and do all the things that we do. I love to see on my kid's face at awards chapel, when I'm able to go to them, they get an award, you were the, you get an award for being the most helpful kid this week. You know, and they'll go back to their seats, you know, showing me their deal, they'll come home. Everybody loves that. I was chosen. One of the happiest days of my life was the day that Aaron chose me and said yes to my marriage proposal. She sat right down there last night. And I remember that day. She didn't have to say yes. But she did. She chose me. I was acceptable to her. Woo! I remember the day we got married. Our, we were down in Southern California at Westmont Chapel, at Westmont College, and they have a little prayer chapel, and there's about 50 of us crammed into this little prayer chapel. Pastor John Bryan was, was playing uh, James Taylor's uh, Just the Way or uh, How You Move, Just the Way You Move. Every move you make. I forgot what the name of the song is. I, I, I was stunned by her beauty, you know. And here she came. Something in the way she moves, that's it. Yeah. Oh, man. Now, as great as that was, let me tell you something. That was great. There's something even greater. God chose me. He accepted me. Now I want you to notice that Peter doesn't list any conditions. He simply says that God chose you, which means it's not based on your performance. It's not based on your grade point average or how much money you have in the bank or how talented you are or the title that you have at work or because you're here this morning, you're a member of our church, you know, or because you gave an offering. And nothing to do with any of that. He just chose you. I accept you. I accept you. Come on. I accept you. Some of you are here and you think that God's an unpleasable God. You think he's up in heaven watching your every move and if you're not a good little boy, you know, or a good little girl, you know, he won't accept you. And he's just kind of watching you. Okay, good. You woke up. That's good. Okay, good. You had your little devotions. That's good. Spent time with me. Good. You read the Bible. Okay, so far, so. Oh! You fumbled. How dare you not love the way I, I've commanded you to love? How dare you have a thought like that? You're gone. I'm done with you. Some of you believe that because that's the kind of home you grew up in. As long as you towed the line, right? As long as you were a good little boy, a good little girl, everything was okay. And as soon as you blew it, wow, somebody unloaded on you. And so here you are and, you know, you gave your life to Christ. And you're just working so hard to make sure you don't blow it because if you blow it, man, God won't love you anymore. It's not true. He accepts you just the way you are. He knows about all the junk and the crud in your life. And he accepts you. Just accepts you. Paul said this in Romans chapter 15. He says, therefore accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. Christ has accepted you. You. Maybe nobody else in your life has. But Jesus has accepted you just the way you are. And by the way, family, we're to accept each other just the way Christ accepted us. 
And Christ accepted us with all of our junk and crud and hang-ups and habits and faults and foibles. He accepted us. And then he says, you accept each other that way. Yeah, but that guy over there, man, he's really screwed up. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. And so are you. I often say, you know, if I knew everything there was to know about you, yikes, I wouldn't want to preach to you. And if you knew everything there was to know about me, you wouldn't want to hear me preach. Jesus said that a little bit differently. He said, it's your love for one another. That's how people are going to know that you're my disciples. You accept one another just the way Jesus Christ accepted you. And he accepted you just the way you were. You see, some of you have never given your life to Christ because you believe you've got to get your life all cleaned up. Oh, my life's a mess. And so you're working really hard to get this area of your life together and then this area of your life together so that you can somehow come to God and say, God, here I am. Will you accept me? Listen, you can never get your life clean enough. Never. That's why it's called the good news because God just says, I choose you in the condition that you're Now, not only has God accepted you, but number two, you're also valuable to God. God places a high value on your life. Verse nine goes on to say, you are God's very own possession. Have you ever thought about how much you're worth? I'm not talking about your net worth, I'm talking about your self-worth. You see, a lot of people confuse their valuables with their value as a person. Your net worth has nothing to do with your value as a person. Nothing. Now, what determines value? Well, there are two things that determine value in life. Number one, value is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for something. Let me give you an illustration. If I went back there and got one of Chad's guitars and held it up, And I went and got a same guitar, same make, same model, and everything of a guitar that John Lennon played. Which guitar is worth more? Obviously, the one that John Lennon owned. Obviously. You know, how, how much is your house worth? It's not worth as much as you, you, you thought it was worth, right? You see, value is determined by what somebody is, is, is willing to, to, to pay for it. Doesn't matter what you think something's worth. What matters is, is what somebody willing to pay for it. How much is a Johnny Bench rookie card worth? Well, to some of you, it's not worth anything. But to some of you, you'd pay hundreds of dollars for it. How much is a piece of art worth? It's worth whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. That's the first thing that determines value. And the second thing is, is who owned it first, John Lennon or Chad Pippen? I read about a a, a pair of tennis shoes, sweaty, stinky, old tennis shoes that sold for 7,000 bucks because they were owned by Michael Jordan. I I wouldn't pay a nickel for your shoes. I don't want your shoes. (laughs) I might think about dropping a 10 spot or a $20 bill on Jordan shoes. Maybe I get my hands on them, but I'm not going to pay for yours. I don't even want mine. Yeah, unbelievable. Now, based upon these two things, what's your value? How much are you worth? Well, what was God willing to pay for you? The Bible says that he gave up his son, Jesus Christ, for you. Jesus paid for you with his life. He bought you back from the devil. He exchanged his own son for you. The cross proves how much God was willing to pay for you. God said, I I love you this much. And he let some Roman soldiers jam some crummy nails in his hands. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, God paid a high price for you. So the first thing that determines value is what someone's willing to pay for you. God paid a high price for you. Now, who owns you? The Bible says in 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who is given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself because God bought you with a high price. Christian, you belong to God. He paid a high price for you and you're his possession. Imagine what you must be worth. Last week I Googled greatest ransom ever paid. Yeah, that whole Google thing, that is just unbelievable, isn't it? You can put in, there's all this information, stuff I don't even care about. I can just look up anything. Well, I put in greatest ransom ever paid and what came up was the story of this Hong Kong family. They were one of the richest families in Hong Kong and a gangster had, had kidnapped their son and the ransom they paid was $77 million. The family said that they were willing to pay even more than that. Somebody had kidnapped their son. $77 million. Well, to get you back from the grip of the devil, it took way more than $77 million. It took the very blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on a cross for you, which means, wow, you're more valuable than, than you even know. Let me take you back quickly to last week. The Bible says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not $77 million, gold, silver. The ransom that he paid was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. All of us had been kidnapped, if you will, by the devil, by our sin. And you are so valuable to God that the ransom was going to be way more than $77 million. The ransom was going to be his son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He paid a high price for you, for me. And we belong to him now. Just like those sneakers belong to Michael Jordan, makes him valuable. The guitar owned by John Lennon, wow, that's valuable. You're now owned by God Almighty. How valuable are you? So how does God see you? Number one, God accepts you just the way you are. He chose you. Number two, God places great value on your life. And number three, God wants to have a close relationship with you. Verse nine says you are royal priests. Now it's important that you get this. What's Peter trying to say here? What's Peter getting at here? Well, I think he's saying a, a lot, but let me zero in on, on a couple things. Basically in the Old Testament, priests, priests did two things. I'm gonna boil it down to a couple, just two things. Number one, a priest represented God to the people. And the second thing the priest did was they represented the people to God. Now they did a lot more than that, but if I were to boil it down, that's what the priest did, is that they represented God to the people and they represented the people to God. Now, if you have received Jesus Christ into your life, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, these two things are now true for you. You have the privilege right now to go directly to God. You have access to God. You don't have to talk with the priest and ask him to talk to God for you. You can do it yourself. Because the word of God says that you're a royal priest. No longer do you have to go to the priest and say, hey priest, will you go talk to God for me? Hey priest, I've got some sin in my life. Hey, will you go and offer a sacrifice for me? You can do it. You now have access to God. 
You don't have to confess your sin to some priest who then confesses them to God for you and tells you what you need to do to get right with God. You can talk with God about your sin directly. You don't have to fellowship with God through anybody else. You have just as much right to go before God as I do, as the Pope, or anybody else. And it's all because of what Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, because of Christ, because the second person of the Holy Trinity came to planet Earth and lived a sinless life, because he voluntarily went to a cross and gave his life up, shed his blood, paid a ransom, because he walked out of that tomb three days later and conquered death, proving that he was who he said he was, the Son of God. And because you've put your faith in him, now we can come boldly and confidently into the presence of God. There was a time the priests were the only ones who could do that. And now, because of Christ, he says, you, you're a royal priest. You have access to me. Now, I want you to understand this. So let me just take another second and unpack it a little bit. Romans chapter five says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, I want you to underline those five little words. We have peace with God. Beloved, when you entered into a relationship with God, when you invited Jesus Christ into your life, at that very moment, you went from being at war with God to being at peace with God. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking to yourself, hold on a second. I may not believe in God and all that stuff, but I'm not at war with him. I'm here, right? I'm over in the venue, right? I'm listening on the, on the internet. I, I, I don't have to. I'm not at war with God. I may not believe in him, but I'm happy that you guys are all singing songs to him and giving and all. I'm I'm good with that. I'm not at war with him. And I know some of you are thinking that because I used to think that before I gave my life to Christ. But listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11. Remember, it's the truth that sets us free. Jesus says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. You see, there's no being neutral with God. You're, you're either for him or you're against him. You're either working for the purposes of God and all of that, or you're working against him. There, there's no such thing as being neutral. Now, you can think you're neutral, but there's no such thing according to the scriptures. Paul said this in Romans chapter five. He says, while we were God's enemies, and I know some of you are going, whoa, that's just a strong term, Pastor. I, I'm not an enemy of God. I know you don't think that way. I know it. Now, there are a lot of enemies out there who obviously, you know, don't like God and all that. But I also know that some of you are here and you're going, wait, I'm not an enemy. The truth is, you are if you don't know Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're in opposition to him. If you don't know Christ, you're, you're, you're his enemy. And here's my point in all this. All of us at one time or another were enemies of God. We, we were against God. And one of the bummers about being an enemy of God is that you don't have access to him. You're not close to him. Hard to be close to somebody you're in opposition to, right? Hard to be close with somebody who you're an enemy with. But at the very moment you enter into a relationship with God, when you invite Jesus Christ into your life, at that very moment you went from being at war with God, an enemy of God, not close to God, at being at peace with God, which means you and God have the ability now to be close, to have a personal relationship with one another. You now have access to God. Now that word access in Romans chapter 5 is an important word. It was a word that the Jews understood very well. And the idea that the average person could have access to God was, was basically unthinkable to them. Because in the Old Testament, the Jews basically had zero access to him. Only the priests did. That's all. In the Old Testament, God's house was the temple, and God's presence was manifest in the temple. 
And that place was called the Holy of Holies. And the only person who could go into the Holy of Holies and thus have access to God, be close to God, was the high priest. The Gentiles couldn't go in. Women couldn't go in. The average Jew couldn't go in. Only the high priest could go in. Only the high priest had access to God. Only the high priest could be close to God. And he could only go in there one time a year, and it was only for a moment or two. Now, right in front of the holies uh, of holies, uh, the holy of holies was this huge veil. It was like a gigantic curtain, and we're told that it was about 18 inches thick, and it was like this huge, massive veil. And that veil separated the people, us, from him. Right back here is the Holy of Holies. That's where God dwelled. That's where God was. And God had put this huge veil up, thick veil. Nobody had access to God. Nobody could be close to God. Nobody. Now I want you to listen to what happened to the veil at the very moment that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Matthew chapter 27 says this, then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain, the veil, that thing that separated people from God in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Beloved, when Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave and took his place at the right hand of the Father, he made it possible for everybody to have access to God. Everybody now could come close to God, and that only happens through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That big, huge, thick veil that separated human beings from God was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and that's important. What that means is God was the one who tore it. No man could have gotten up there and tore that veil. In fact, no man could really tear it from the bottom and it had taken a sawzall. I mean, that, that was unbelievable how they made that thing. And the Bible says that at the very moment that Jesus Christ gave up his life, remember the last words he says, it is finished. Now he didn't say he was finished because he's not finished. He's working in my life, and he's working in your life, and he's working in your life. He wasn't finished. What he said was, it is finished. The redemptive work is finished. And at that very moment, that veil split in two. And God was then saying, come on, I chose you. You're acceptable to me. You're valuable to me. Let's be close. No longer will there be something that will separate me from you. No longer will it only be the priest who can come in and see me. You can come to me anytime you want. There's no longer anything that separates us anymore. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it only affected their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises God had made them. You lived in this world without God. You lived in this world without hope. But now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away, you were enemies of God. You, you were in opposition to God. But now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. That veil tore. And when you accept Christ, you're brought near to him. Unbelievable to think about that. That God says, I want to be close to you. I want to have a, an intimate relationship with you. Now, the reason I'm spending so much time on this is because Satan likes to keep Christians in the dark about this great truth. A lot of Christians think, you know, I'm not good enough to pray. I'm not good enough to be with God. I'm not good enough to ask God for anything. I, I don't deserve to ask God for a new job. I, I don't need, I don't deserve to ask God to help me with this health crisis I'm in. I don't deserve to ask God for anything. Listen to me. 
none of us are good enough to have access to God. None of us. There isn't a single person here that, that has lived a good enough life to have access to God. We're bad people. And at times, we're very bad people. But when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, when God's Son comes into your life, His holiness comes into your life, His righteousness comes into your life, His purity comes into your life, His goodness comes into your life, it's Him who makes you good enough to come near to God. It's Jesus. It's the reason why all the songs we sang here today and over in the venue all have to deal with God, Jesus, because without him, we're just doomed. Look, in Washington, D.C., having access to the president is more valuable than money. Because when you've got access to the president, you've got power. In fact, those that have access to the president are considered some of the most privileged people literally in the entire world. Beloved, you have access to someone far more powerful than some human being. If you wanted to talk with our president, if you wanted to be close to him, if you wanted to draw near to him, good luck. He has a veil in front of him. It's called the Secret Service. <laughs> Probably way thicker than an 18-inch curtain. You aren't going to get anywhere near him. But God says, I've taken the secret service, I've taken that veil, and I've moved them out of the way, and I've said, come on. I've accepted you. I chose you. You're, you're valuable to me. You're my own possession. I've made you a royal priest. Let, let, let's be close. Allow me to be a part of your life. No, nobody else may want to be a part of your life, but I do, God says. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous Jesus, for the unrighteous us, to bring us to God. If the veil's still up, I, I can't get there. It opened. And now Jesus in your relationship brings you close to God. Beloved, you're acceptable to God, you're valuable to God, and you have access to him. In fact, I want to say those three things out loud together, okay? Number one, God accepts me just the way I am. Now listen to me. That's truth. Just the way you are. Oh, pastor, you don't know about the junk in my life. I know, I know, I don't. I've did some horrible things, I know. But the reality, the truth is, is that God accepts you just the way you are. Number two, God places a high value on my life. And if you ever doubt that, if those old ways of thinking come, you take that thought captive, and I want you to remember the cross. The cross is a constant reminder of just how valuable you are to God. That he would pay a ransom for you. A ransom not of gold, silver, $77 million, but a ransom of his own son. And number three, God wants to have a close relationship with me. What should our response be to these three things? Look at verse nine real quick. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people.
What should our response be? We ought to stand strong for Jesus Christ that we might be used by him to show others the goodness of God. Beloved, I hope that somehow these three things rattle around in your mind, even those of you that have walked with God for a long time. And you'd remember the man that God chose me. I'm acceptable to God. I'm valuable to him. And he wants to have a close relationship with me. Unbelievable. May that motivate you to stand strong for him. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. Paul said, so we are Christ's ambassadors. <laughs> what? What? Really? God is making his appeal through us. Christian, did you hear that? You. You represent Christ. You're his ambassador. He's making his appeal to people through you. Now, he doesn't need to. He can do anything he wants. Instead, he says, look, I, I've accepted you. I've chosen you. You're valuable to me. Let's get close, and I want to use you now to be my ambassadors. I want people to see your life. I want people to watch you and look at you, and I want you to be the one who somehow reflects me in this world. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we might be made right with God through Christ. That's just amazing. When you understand your identity in Christ, and we only looked at a couple things, there are many things in Scripture, it ought to motivate us to stand strong for Christ that we could be these great ambassadors for him. He's an incredible God who loves people deeply loves you, cares about you, chose you, wants to be close to you. Why don't you close your eyes for just a moment? And if you're here and you're struggling with some things, you know we have a room called the altar room. We've got one in the venue. We have one in here. And the spiritual leaders of our church are always there to pray for you. Sometimes it gets crowded in there. Praise the Lord for that. But you could go in and say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm struggling right now. I have a lot of thoughts from my childhood that I never took captive and I'm struggling. Pray for me. Maybe you're here and you never gave your life to Christ. Maybe you go in there and say, hey, I need to know Jesus as my Savior. I've, I've never received Christ in my life. I didn't realize, you know, that I'm an enemy of his. I want to make peace with God today. You go in there. Pray. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to be the first people to give you a Bible. And then after Scott prays, if you're a single or married couple, get your tickets. This thing's going to sell out. There's going to be some great events, the, the single night and the married life events. Take advantage of those things. Scott, would you, would you pray?